Hey everyone, my name is Randall Heyer and I'm the worship arts pastor here at Cochrane Alliance Church. We are so glad that you've come to check out the latest sermon and we pray that you are encouraged, challenged, and ultimately that you are drawn closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Today we continue our series in, um, well, our series called Encountering God. And uh, the last two weeks, we've looked at, uh, Jason Dimnick looked at the, the life of Haggai. And today we will continue with the life of Joseph out of uh, the book of Genesis. And uh, Genesis, the author of Genesis, Moses, gives uh, more time than any other character. Uh, he... Moses gives more time to the life of Joseph than any other character in his writing. And we find that in Genesis 37 through 50. And this portion of scripture is incredibly rich. If you've ever read it before, you will know that even Hollywood would wish that they could write a story like the story of Joseph. And this is no fictional story. This is, uh, this is the real deal. It deals with uh, family strife and dynamics, favoritism, hatred, dreams, interpretation of dreams, waterless pits, prisons, uh, slavery, foreign nations, foreign officials. Um, It deals with false accusations, God's faithfulness, God's sovereignty, God's providence, and ultimately it deals with God's plan of salvation. And we could easily spend months looking at uh, the life of Joseph, how God uses the person of Joseph through through history to bring about his plans and uh, purposes. And it's truly a remarkable story. However, uh, to, to isolate the story of Joseph just to those 13 chapters, by the way, I would encourage you to read those 13 chapters, Genesis 37 to 50, Uh, maybe once a week for the next three weeks because we're going to be in uh, the life of Joseph for three weeks. Uh, But to to isolate the story of Joseph and and his life um, just to those 13 chapters, I think would would do a disservice to the overall uh, purpose of the Word of God and and, uh, to isolate it out of the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the rest of God's redemptive plan would, uh, would, would probably do a disservice to Joseph because Joseph, the story of Joseph is far greater than just Joseph himself. In Genesis chapter 12, which we've referenced many times before, uh, God gives Abraham a promise. And that promise is that... Um, God, through Abraham, would uh, bless the families of the earth. That all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And, uh, and ultimately, that would be fulfilled in the person of Jesus. That he would come and bring salvation for all. And so, the story of Joseph begins in Genesis chapter 37. And Moses introduces us to a young shepherd boy and he's only 17 years old. And Joseph is loved more than all of his siblings, all of his brothers. Um, 
because his father has him at a very old age. The, the, the text says he was the son of his old age. And Jacob, Joseph's father, has 12 different children from four different women. Now that makes the story interesting right there. He has two wives and he has two concubines. And Joseph is the second youngest child. Jacob shows favoritism to Joseph by making the coat of many colors. Are anyone familiar with the coat of many colors? Yes, you've heard that once or twice before. <clears throat> and this coat that Joseph, uh, sorry, Jacob makes for Joseph is probably a sign that uh, he is uh, some sort of a leader or, or will one day be a leader. Jacob, uh, I think, is picking up on the leadership of his son Joseph and he makes this coat, this special coat that would, that would uh, single him out for his son Joseph. And so we begin to see a little bit of the dysfunction that is taking place in the life of Joseph. Genesis 37 verse 4 says that the brothers couldn't even speak peaceably to him. The brothers hated Joseph so much that they couldn't even have a normal conversation with him. And I think this is foreshadowing what was going to take place. Remember, Jesus says that if you even have hatred in your brother's heart, it's kind of like murdering. And so to make matters even worse, Jacob's favorite son, Joseph, has a few dreams. And these dream, the first dream is of uh, some sheaves of wheat um, that are all bowing down to Joseph. And then the second dream is of the sun, moon, and 11 stars all bowing down to Joseph. And so the brothers intuitively pick up on these dreams that one day Joseph will rule over them. The brothers are kind of getting this idea that Joseph might be some sort of a leader as well. And the brothers hate Joseph all the more. And they conspire to kill him. One day, Jacob calls uh, Joseph and says, Hey, I, I need you to go out into the uh, pastures and find your brothers, and I want to hear a report back on how they're doing. They've been out there for a while, and I'd like to know how they're doing. And so Joseph goes on this long trek. It's roughly 50 miles long. And the brothers see him coming. And remember, they've got a ton of hatred in their heart. And what does hatred lead to? It often leads to murder. And so the brothers conspire to kill Joseph. Reuben, the oldest brother, uh, ha has somewhat of a different idea, and he's like, oh, guys, I don't know if this is a good idea. I don't think we should kill him. And they decide to, uh, they grab him, they strip him of his coat, and they throw him in a waterless pit. And then they have lunch. <laughs> and while they're eating lunch, some Ishmaelite traders are coming down the road. And uh, Judah has this great idea, and he's like, hey, why don't we at least get some money for our brother? 
And so they sell their brother into slavery, into Egypt. And, jo- and Joseph ends up 17 years old being sold into slavery because his brothers hate him so incredibly much. And I love what Genesis 39 verse 2 says. And it should give us all great comfort. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Over the past uh, 15 years, I've tried to create a a discipline of journaling. And uh, I've gone maybe weeks at a time where I've completely journaled every single day. And then I've gone like months where I haven't picked up my journal at all. But when uh, 2022 started, I once again made the commitment that this year I'm going to journal. And uh, I've been doing pretty good, actually. And uh, what, I, what I like to do with journaling isn't just writing about my day. Uh, it's kind of a prayer journal. It's where I process things with the Lord, the things that he's placing on my heart. And so I, I just write out my prayers, my thoughts. And, um, and then I like to just take a couple moments and listen and, and see if the Lord wants to say anything to me. And undoubtedly, almost every single time, the first phrase that comes to my thoughts is, Randall, I am with you. Randall, I am with you. Through the hurts, the pains, the excitements, whatever you walk through, Randall, I am with you. I love what John Lennox says. He says, above all, Genesis tells us about the God in whom Joseph believed and in the God he learned to trust. The God who was with him. Our story continues and the author Moses goes on to say that Joseph became a successful man in the house of his Egyptian master. And again, his master saw that the Lord was with him. In Genesis chapter 39, we see four times this phrase, uh, God was with Joseph or the Lord was with him. And it's very, very intentional because the life of Joseph is going to go from bad to worse but the Lord was with him. So now Joseph's 17, maybe 18 years old, and he works for a man named Potiphar, who is an officer of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in Egypt. And uh, this Potiphar is a captain of the guard. Can you imagine how Joseph would be feeling at this point? He's been sold into slavery, uh, he, he's, he's had these dreams as a young boy that, uh, that these stars and these wheat sheaves are bowing down to him. He's got a sense of purpose. He's had dreams where he, he knows that God was in them, but he's sold into slavery in a foreign land. He's probably scared, hurt, rejected, worried, And the story goes from bad to worse. 
One day Joseph is working in Potiphar's house and the Bible says that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance and Potiphar's wife notices Joseph. Now, let me remind you that it was not his cooking and cleaning skills that attracted him to Potiphar's wife, okay? It was his form and appearance. She's, she's desiring him f- more for what he can do in the house. And day after day after day after day, she pursues him. And Joseph denies and refuses her advances. Now, now Joseph probably could have gotten away with a lot at this point. But there's this old saying that I often think about, and it's this, is that character is how you act and respond when no one is watching. Character is how you act and respond when no one is watching. Joseph was a man of incredible character, and he knew that someone is always watching. He knew that he stood before God and that God, uh, God's eyes were always open. And he desired to honor his master and he desired to honor God in heaven. And he says this, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And finally, after Joseph refuses all the advances of Potiphar's wife, She accuses Joseph of taking advantage of her and Joseph is unjustly thrown into prison. Like I said, a a bad story getting even worse. Again, we see this beautiful phrase that shows up four times, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Joseph is once again found being held up by the providential care of God. What I mean by providential care of God is that God's promises God provides for his promises through his providence, through his providential care. Joseph is given incredible favor and and while in prison, Joseph again uh, interprets dreams or this is actually the first time in the story that he's interpreting a dream but again he's confronted with dreams And one is from Pharaoh's cupbearer and one is from Pharaoh's chief baker. And Joseph knows that all these interpretations belong to the Lord. They belong to God. And what he says comes to pass exactly how the Lord reveals the interpretation to him. And things started looking a little bit better for Joseph. What was a bad story? Well, maybe now it's turning for good. Maybe this was his opportunity to get out of prison. And he, and, he, and he goes to the chief baker and says, look, when you go back to work for Pharaoh, remember me. Remember this whole dream interpretation thing took place. And chapter 40 ends with a devastating blow. 40 verse 23 says, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. 
Chapter 41 doesn't begin any better. It says, after two whole years, after two whole years, have you ever felt forgotten? Have you ever been, uh, felt like you've been missed, that you've been overlooked, that you've been left out? And not just once, but for many years? Incredibly difficult times, but the Lord was with Joseph. After two whole years, Pharaoh, the ruler of all of Egypt, has dreams. And when the chief cupbearer, who is now working with Pharaoh again, um, hears about these dreams, he's like, oh, dreams. I, I remember this guy like a couple of years ago when I was in prison, he interpreted some dreams for me. I want to say his name was Joe, Joe, yeah, probably something like Joseph. And so they go down there to the depths of the prison, and Joseph um, is summoned to come into the courts of Pharaoh, and he is asked to give an interpretation for dreams. And again, Joseph says, look, it's not me who interprets dreams, it is God Joseph gives, uh, and so Joseph gives an interpretation to these dreams, and the interpretation goes something like this. Look, Pharaoh, for the next 14 years, there's going to be seven years of plenty, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And then he gives some wisdom to Pharaoh on how to... Um, how to move forward in light of the interpretation of these dreams. And Pharaoh is incredibly pleased with the wisdom of Joseph. And he says, can we find a man like this in whom the Spirit of God is? What if our bosses and employers looked upon us and said, man, the Spirit of God is upon that person. When we're talking about uh, um, a nation of Egypt that really has no idea who God in heaven is. And, and Pharaoh is, looks at Joseph and says, wow, there is a man uh, in whom the Spirit of God is. And so during the seven years of plenty, Joseph stores the grain in storage and there's much wealth in the land. And finally... After uh, seven years of plenty, what happens? Famine, just like Joseph said. And uh, one day, who shows up but Joseph's brothers? There's famine in the land and in the known world, and uh, Joseph's family makes the trek to Egypt to purchase grain. And who do they stand before? but their brother, Joseph. And they have no idea who he is, but he knows exactly who they are. And in his mind, he's probably thinking, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> Those dreams that I had many, many years ago have now come to pass. After turmoil, after turmoil, after hardship and suffering, after slavery, 
It's coming to pass. Joseph's family was bowing down to him. His heart is probably pounding out of his chest. What is Joseph going to do? Is he going to get back at them for what they did? Is he going to throw them in prison and so, that, so that they can taste what he tasted for so many years? No. Joseph is a man who has not hardened his heart towards God. He has not hardened his heart towards his family. Remember what Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who would harm you. I believe that Joseph was a man who prayed for his brothers. Joseph was a man who lifted his brothers up and said, Lord, would you change their hearts? He probably prayed for his father as well. I wonder if there's anyone that you need to forgive today. I wonder if there's anyone who you need to bless today because they've made your life a living hell. Has your heart been hardened towards God because of the pain and suffering that you've had to walk through? I would encourage you to to turn your heart towards him and allow him to tenderize your heart once again. Continuing on through a series of tests, Joseph tests his brothers to see if these are still the brothers whom threw him, who threw him in a waterless pit, if these are still the brothers who desired to kill him, if, if these are still the same men who sold him into slavery at the age of 17. And it seems as though their hearts have changed. And when he ends the tests, he stands before them and says, I am your brother. Don't be angry and distressed at yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it is not you who sent me here, but it is God. That's an interesting way to look at it. Joseph is a man who believes in the sovereignty and the providence of God. He knows that God is working all things according to his plans and purposes, even in the midst of the sinful actions of his brothers. God is working out his plans and purposes, and nothing can derail God's plans. I want to encourage you today that you may have been hurt, you, hit, you may have been sinned against, you may have been unjustly fired from your job, you may have been um, hurt and stepped on, taken advantage of, you may have endured the sins of your brothers, but nothing can derail the plans and purposes of God on your life. I love what John 
Salheimer says, he says, this is not a story of the success of Joseph, but rather of God's faithfulness and uh, faithfulness to his promises. The entire story of Joseph is summed up in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. It says this, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God had a plan. That plan started earlier than Genesis. That plan uh, started earlier than Genesis chapter 12, but in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is given a promise that through him all the nations of the earth and finally in the life of Joseph, we begin to see the outworkings of this promise. That the nations of the earth, the whole known world is in a, a devastating famine and who is blessing the nations? Joseph, through God. So, what do we do with the story of Joseph? Like I said at the beginning of the story, it's rich, and over the next two weeks, we're gonna to continue to dive into some of the, the other areas of the story. But today, I wanna to quickly close with uh, Genesis 37, 12 through 17. Right back to the beginning. Jacob asks Joseph to go and check on his brothers who are in the pasture. Uh, and they're near Shechem. And again, Shechem is roughly 50, 50 miles uh, away. And, um, and so he calls Joseph and says, hey, go out into the fields and check on your brothers. Now, now this seems like a pretty easy task. However, uh, traveling alone 50 miles would have been incredibly difficult. Uh, you would have been in danger of being robbed, uh, beaten up um, by the bad guys. Uh, you would have been, uh, at night it's gonna get really cold, during the day it's gonna get really hot, is there gonna be enough uh, water on the journey? There's many different things. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention, his brothers hated him. His brothers wanted him killed. And Joseph, in the midst of these threats, regardless of what is going to happen, Joseph says, here I am. Joseph says to his father, here I am. Joseph has an instant, unwavering commitment to obey. 11 years ago, uh, Becky and I moved to Calgary to join a church planting team. And uh, while we were there, one evening early on, uh, we had an evening uh, of training. And uh, our friend Luke was doing some training. And when the evening was over, uh, a gentleman and I got into a conversation and, and nearing the end of the conversation, he pulled out a $100 bill and he handed me the $100 bill and said, Randall, I feel like I'm supposed to give this to you. And I was like, ooh, $100 bill? I've never had one of these before. It's quite uh, shiny, I like it. And uh, I thanked him and, and I folded it up and I put it into my pocket. And as I'm putting it into my pocket, I feel like the Lord says to me, 
Randall, you need to give that to your friend Luke, who, the one who did the training. And I was like, oh, really, Lord? Like, seriously? Uh, I've, I've never had a $100 bill before. And, uh, and, um, and so I, I'm talking with the Lord about when I should give it to him, when I should, or, or yeah, should I give it to him? I'm kind of going back and forth with, with the Lord. And uh, I get into a couple of other conversations and I kind of forget that I'm, Luke was talking with some other people and I kind of forget that I was supposed to give it to him. And I'm walking out of the church that evening, and, um, and as I'm walking to my car, the Lord says, remember, Randall, I asked you to give that $100 bill that you have in your pocket to Luke. And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> about that. And I was like, uh, not right now, Lord. I, I'm going to have to go back into the church. I'm going to have to go back upstairs. I'm probably going to have to interrupt him from a couple of conversations I'm meeting with him tomorrow. I'll just give it to him tomorrow. And I get into my car, go home. The next morning, uh, I'm on my way to Starbucks. I I get there and uh, get out of my car, walking into Starbucks. And I put my hand into my pocket, and the $100 bill is gone. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I go back to my car. I search the car high and low. I'm looking around on the parking lot. It can't be found anywhere. But I know that I have to give this $100 to Luke. And so I go to an ATM and I grab out another $100 out of our savings account and I give Luke $100. So now I'm out out $200. Quick obedience. Randall, quick obedience. What we can learn from Joseph here is his unwavering commitment to say yes right away without any hesitation. Unknown to Joseph, he will never return to his homeland again and this will be the last time that he sees his father in potentially two decades probably just shy of two decades. And I'm reminded of Jesus who was sent by the Father into a world that knowingly he would be rejected, knowingly he would be hated by the people. And he willingly goes to the cross. In obedience, he goes to the cross and gives his life. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. If there's one thing that screams loud and clear through the story of Joseph is that obedience does not guarantee a life of ease or success in the way that we would define success. We see throughout the life of Joseph that his obedience to God is almost always met with hardship. Joseph's obedience was not about living for himself. It was not about becoming successful and neither should it be the case for us. Our, our, obedience is, our obedience to God is not so that we can live a life of ease or, or um, live a life uh, of prosperity. No, there's often hardship that follows obedience. 
as we see in the life of Joseph, it means suffering. Jesus' obedience led him to the cross. Paul's obedience led him to be beheaded. Peter's obedience led him to be crucified upside down. And, and the, the Matthew who wrote the Gospel of Matthew was flayed with a, to death with an axe. A very difficult situation. So why, if obedience doesn't mean a life of ease and prosperity, why should we obey the Lord? I believe that we are called to walk in obedience that we might bring about the kingdom of God. Each of us is, is given a calling or a task or a dream and these, these are not so that we would live a life of ease. They are, they're not so that we can live uh, the American dream. These are given to us that we might, like Joseph, fulfill the plans and purposes of God. Like I said many times already, in the greater context of Joseph's life, he is, he is um, fulfilling the promise that God gave to Abraham. He's blessing the nations of the world. The Apostle Paul puts it like this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purposes. We are called according to his purposes, not ours. And then the story of Joseph is not, listen to this, the story of Joseph is not how can we go from the pit to the palace. It's not about how can we become successful in our careers. It's about how can we walk in obedience and God bring about his plans and purposes. Vodi Bauckham states this, the tale, this is a tale of redemption in which Joseph pays an unthinkable price for a purpose that is much greater than he. I want to invite you today into obedience. I want to invite you into a story that is much larger than yourself one that will not guarantee success or a life of ease. But you will play an integral part in God's redemptive story. And this is it. This is his redemptive story. 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some counsel us, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone would perish, but that all would reach repentance. That through our lives of living obedience, that through our lives of carrying out the call that God has placed on our lives, that all men might know Jesus. I'll invite the worship team to come up. Again, I would invite you into a walk of obedience that your life would be a living testimony to those around you, that you are here to be salt and light in a dark world, that people would see Jesus through you. Would you stand with me and let's uh, pray.
Jesus, I thank you this morning that there is nothing that can derail your plans and purposes. There's no sin that can derail what you have for us. And Jesus, I I pray today that as we go from this place that we would walk in obedience to you knowing that you've called us according to your plans and purposes and that you will work all things for good. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are and we worship you. We magnify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Lord.